0: Thank you. Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We here at Ohio Mysteries want to thank all of you for your continued support. So far this year, we are nearing a half a million downloads, all because of our Ohio Mysteries family. Thank you so much as we continue to bring fantastic stories from right here in Ohio. So let's get into our week in review. With last Sunday's podcast, Paula and I brought you the fortune teller killer. Imagine having a fortune teller guiding you to a victim, only to find out they were responsible for killing that victim. Definitely check out last Sunday's episode. You will not be disappointed. When you're finished with that, go deep into Wednesday's Ohio Mysteries Backroads where they cover the first forward pass in professional football and the first forward pass in college football. Truly fascinating that both had to do with Ohio. Now, before we get into this week's episode, Paula and I will be posting an ad-free episodes of Ohio Mysteries and Patreon every week for our Patreon supporters. Remember, for as little as a dollar, you can help support the podcast and get access to extra content, especially our full interviews with detectives on some of our Akron Beacon Journal Ohio.com episodes. So for all of you Patreon supporters, head on over to your Patreon account and you will find an ad-free version And I will also try to post the episodes a day early for early access for you Patreon supporters. Sometimes we might have episodes that have us working at the last minute, but most of the time I should be able to post them 24 hours before the episode we have tonight. We had information coming in at the last moment. That's how great this episode is that we are bringing you. So let's not waste any more time. Let's throw another log on the fire campers. Let's dig up a new Ohio mystery. I'm your co-host Steve Yoder and with us as always is our award-winning journalist who spent 30 plus years at the Akron Beacon Journal bringing you stories just like
1: this, Paula Schleiss. Hi everybody. I love this story and it's not easy to find something to love about an unsolved missing person's case. What makes this one the exception to the rule is the way a small-town Ohio detective heard the plea of a West Virginia family and spent the next five years trying to solve a mystery that has haunted them for decades. And I think it's fair to say it was a request that 90% of the detectives on the planet would have dismissed out of hand. I need to explain this part before we get to the actual focus of tonight's story, because, well, because it's the origin of everything. We did an episode on this a few years ago, and I'll link to it in the episode notes. But here's the setup. In the 1940s, during World War II, A West Virginia mother of five named Mary Jane Van Gilder left her abusive husband and her kids and went to Shelby, Ohio, to take a job at the Wilkins Army Air Force Depot. She stayed in touch with her kids for several months, sending letters and money, but then she filed for divorce from her husband, quit her job, and vanished. For decades, her children, and then after them, her grandchildren, tried to find her. They tried to enlist the help of whoever was available, local, state, federal authorities. They had no luck, but the family never gave up. And in 2018, one of Mary Jane's granddaughters reached out to the Shelby Police Department Shelby is in north-central Ohio's Richland County. And they asked if they could help find out what happened, since that was the last place they knew Mary Jane to be living. Here's the part I love. This is not the kind of case the average detective is going to jump on. Mary Jane was born in 1911 and stopped talking to her family in 1945, There was no evidence of foul play. She could have simply moved on with her life, maybe remarried and disappeared into the big wide world under another name. What detective, with modern unsolved crimes to occupy themselves, is going to throw themselves into this 80-year-old riddle? Well, I'll tell you what detective. His name is Adam Turner. And when his chief at the Shelby Police Department asked him to take a look at the request from Mary Ann Van Gilder's family, he treated it as seriously as any other assignment. So serious that Detective Turner has even had three bodies exhumed to see if some old Jane does might match Mary Jane's DNA. Like I said, this part of the story I'll link to in the episode notes. Tonight's episode is not about what happened to Marianne Van Gilder. It's about one of those three bodies that Detective Turner had exhumed. Detective Turner always said, Exhuming a body is a win-win. If it wasn't Marianne, then it was somebody's loved one. And there was a good chance that modern DNA technology would be able to tell who. Well, it wasn't Mary Ann, but the I.D. of the Jane Doe that was exhumed in Preble County for Turner's project was a revelation and a story that turned out to have some unexpected twists. Stick with me, folks. This one's a page turner. We'll begin our story on May the 25th, 1968, in Eaton, Ohio. That's in Preble County, not too far from Dayton. It was 9 a.m. on a lovely Saturday morning, and the children of Mr. and Mrs. Francis McFall were playing about 100 feet behind their recently constructed home on Frederick Drive. There were thick woods there and a spring-fed ditch which no doubt offered endless exploration opportunities for adventurous youngsters. But what the McFall children found was something that should never be associated with a happy, carefree childhood. It was a decomposed body. First, they spotted the skull. It's unclear if they realized what it was, because apparently they were still playing three hours later... When they came across more body parts, a torso, arms, and the left leg rested about 75 feet from where they'd found the skull. Eaton police were called to the site, and after sifting through the flooded ditch and the heavy underbrush, they uncovered a lower dental plate and part of a right arm. The dental plate was believed to be 10 to 15 years old had been repaired several times. And, given its construction, local dentists suggested it had been made by an older dentist. After he had the chance to examine the body, Preble County Coroner Richard Seale determined it was a white woman, about 35 years old, maybe 5 foot 6 inches tall, and slender, perhaps 132 pounds. There was little else to identify her. There was no trace of clothing on or near the body, no birthmarks or tattoos on the skin that remained. Preble County Sheriff John Stover said there were no missing persons reports in the area that matched what little they knew of their Jane Doe. Originally, Dr. Seal estimated the woman had been dead for anywhere from one month to half a year. Spring rains had flooded the ditch the previous week, and the remains were resting in about three feet of water. He saw two options, that the body was washed into the area from further west. The ditch was connected to Seven Mile Creek, after all. Or it's possible the floodwaters had washed away the opening of a shallow grave. But the situation became a little more confusing when the Montgomery County Coroner's Office was asked to examine the body and weigh in. The pathologist there now thought it possible that the remains had been embalmed. This theory was owed to the fact that so much tissue remained with the skeleton and there was no sign that animals had disturbed the corpse. If that were true, it meant the woman could have died several years earlier, not just several months. It meant she could have been older, not 35, but maybe as old as 55. It also meant her body might have been washed out of a private family cemetery. Now, officials sought the public's help in identifying the woman, but no one came forward to claim her. She was buried at Mount Hill Cemetery and largely forgotten to time. Fast forward to 2019. 170 miles from Eaton, in the city of Shelby, Detective Adam Turner learns of this Preble County Jane Doe while searching for Mary Jane Van Gilder, the World War II-era missing persons case he'd taken on a year earlier. Turner was sifting through various Internet databases, and he came across a reference to a body that had been found in Preble County in 1968. He looked into it further and thought that the woman discovered by the McFall children that day had a lot going to suggest it could have been Mary Jane. She was about the same height and weight. She fit within the age range that pathologists had suggested. The original coroner on the Jane Doe's case said it appeared the woman found in the ditch would have had difficulty in childbirth. And while Mary Jane had several children who lived into adulthood, she did once have stillborn twins. There could even have been a reason for Mary Jane to be in Preble County. Eaton is not all that far from the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and Mary Jane, who had just quit her job at a Shelby Air Force Depot before she lost contact with her family, could have taken another job in the same industry. Armed with these similarities, Detective Turner reached out to Preble County authorities and asked if they would exhume their Jane Doe. And he found an ally in Dave Lindloff, an investigator with the Preble Coroner's Office. After all, what did they have to lose? As Detective Turner said at the time, if it is her, great. Great. I solved a missing persons case. If it's not, then we are going to solve someone else's missing persons case and give some closure to a loved one. Preble County authorities easily agreed. They and Mount Hill Cemetery shouldered the cost of the exhumation. The cemetery had to use pictures taken from when the body was buried to help locate the unmarked grave. And in August of 2019, when the vault was open, they learned the casket itself had disintegrated over the past half century. They sifted through a layer of silt and sediment to retrieve what was there, and the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation was able to collect both femurs and multiple digits from the feet and hands. Curiously, the skull was not in the grave. The original coroner's report made a notation that the skull was being kept in the private collection of the original coroner's investigator, Tim Miller. Miller died in a car crash back in 1993. Now, teeth are a preferred source for DNA, so investigators found and asked surviving Miller family members about that missing skull, but nobody knew what the coroner's note referred to. It was Detective Turner's best guess that Miller might have stored the skull somewhere, hoping one day it could be used for a clay model or some sort of effort that would help identify the woman. But its location was lost when Miller died.
0: Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: A few months after Ohio BCI retrieved the bones, the pandemic hit. That slowed everything down. There was a long list of cold cases waiting for this special new DNA treatment. When the BCI finally got the chance to try and extract DNA from those remains in 2020, they could only retrieve a partial sequence, just enough to know that the remains did not belong to Mary Jane Van Gilder. But... By 2022, law enforcement offices around the country were enjoying remarkable success solving old cases by tapping public genealogy databases where people voluntarily upload their DNA in search of family information. Preble County authorities and Shelby Detective Adam Turner decided to take advantage of this new resource. They partnered with Moxie Forensic Investigations and had a DNA extraction attempted again by specialists at a Utah facility. Again, it was at no cost to the Shelby Police Department. In this case, the $5,000 bill was footed by the hosts of a podcast called Crime Weekly. And voila! Voila! investigators found a woman who, the process suggested, was the niece of whoever belonged to the Preble County remains. So here comes the first twist. Turns out the Preble County Jane Doe was not a Jane after all. The remains were that of a man. His name was Albert Allen Frost. Detective Turner spent this summer putting together the story of Albert's life, and it was about as sad as a story could get. Albert Frost was born January twenty-fifth, nineteen thirty-five, in the Butler County City of Hamilton, to Martin Van Buren Frost and Eva Catherine Berriman. He was the youngest of eight children. Albert spent time in the United States Army and was proud of his service to his country. He wore his military-issued army jacket everywhere. But as a civilian, he led a very troubled existence. Albert had been arrested numerous times for petty crimes as a young man, Newspaper clippings show he was accused of stealing contributions from an Easter sales container at a local tavern, and that he admitted to looting more than a hundred cars. He served some time for his crimes. During that same period, he got married in nineteen fifty nine to a woman in Tennessee. The union only lasted a year before the couple divorced. But references to a custody case revealed Albert had fathered a daughter. She was put up for adoption a couple of years after her parents divorced and had her name legally changed. Detective Turner actually found the woman, alive and well. She hasn't agreed yet to get a DNA to confirm Albert is her biological father. Turner said, The whole story was overwhelming for her. Albert's family had no success getting him to settle down, and he became homeless. Nieces and nephews who shared with Detective Turner the stories that their parents, Albert's siblings, had told of their missing brother, said he was described as shy and not much of a talker, that he always looked poor and ragged, that he had dark hair and was thin with a small frame. One nephew said he rather looked up to Uncle Albert, considering him to be some sort of a rebel. He would get up and go as he pleased without any change of clothes except what was on his back, the nephew said. Albert came in and out of their lives, often when he needed money. And the last anyone had seen him was in 1963 or 1964 when he was still in Hamilton. Because he often disappeared for weeks or months at a time. And because the last time family had seen him, he had a chronic cough and was suffering from tuberculosis. The family never filed a missing persons report. They assumed he died though no record of Albert's death was ever recorded. But there were rumors. Albert has no surviving siblings to confirm the details, but his nieces and nephews said family lore has it that Albert was beaten to death outside a bar, that his body was rolled up in a piece of carpet and left on someone's porch. I promised you some twists, so here's another one. Albert wasn't the only missing Frost child. Among Albert's seven siblings was a sister, Clara. And, again, according to family stories handed down, Clara was sold by her parents to a German man. Nobody knew his name or what became of her after that, one of the nieces told Detective Turner that her father, George, had considered Clara his favorite sibling and that when he came home from the armed services and learned what their mother had done, he stopped talking to her and Clara became a taboo subject in the family. Detective Turner learned on his own later that Clara was known to be alive and living in Cleveland in 1950. She was married to a man named Chester Kaprowski. But by 1952, her husband had a new wife and they were raising Clara's two children. There is no record that Clara died and family finds it hard to believe that she would have left her kids behind. So we have a new mystery. And Detective Turner said, we can't rule out that Clara was, like her brother Albert, murdered. Meanwhile, work continues on the mystery that started it all. Detective Turner is not giving up on finding out what happened to Mary Jane Van Gilder. At a Friday press conference on the revelations of the Frost family, Turner said, Am I disappointed that this turned out not to be Mary Jane Croft Van Gilder? Yes. However, I knew from the beginning that even if this was not Mary Jane, we would identify someone and return their name, and that alone justified everything that we did here. And so, Mary Jane's family continues to wait. Mindy Wilson, a 52-year-old nurse who lives in South Carolina, Never met her grandma, Mary Jane, but she's as eager as anyone to find out what happened. She praised Adam Turner for sharing her determination. He's been a blessing, I'll tell you that, Wilson said. He hasn't given up, and I'm not sure he'll ever give up. Hopefully, one day, it will be our turn.
0: That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every one of our episodes, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. And we'll see you back here next week for another episode of Ohio Mysteries. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction?